WBMC HD3 Detroit, KMPS HD3 Seattle, WBMX HD3 Boston. And on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Why are some houses haunted and some not? Are the traditional explanations for hauntings always the best ones? What do you do when an exorcism doesn't work? Hey there, and welcome to the uh, 512th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those haunting questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So this evening we bring you a look at the uh, first haunting to be featured on network television for a man who witnessed the events. Edwin F. Becker is the author of eight books that I know of and became a best-selling author with his 2011 book, True Haunting, a native of Chicago. He has appeared on the Sci-Fi Channel's Paranormal Witness series and has been a guest and co-host on numerous radio shows around the English-speaking world. Find out more about Ed at www.edwinbecker.com and www.truehaunting.com. Edwin Becker, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you, Ben. Hello, Paul. Hello, Ed. It is wonderful to have you on with us tonight. So let's just get right down to brass tacks. So please, tell us what happened to you and your wife in 1971. Well, you kind of got to go back in time. Uh, Some of the youngsters may or may not relate to what it was like in 1970, but we were pretty much void of technology. The word paranormal wasn't in our vocabulary, and uh, my wife was pregnant, Marcia was pregnant, and we were kicked out of our apartment, which in those years your landlords had the right to ask whoever they wanted to rent. So they could say no children, no pets, working couple, etc. So we lost our apartment, and I was uh, desperate, basically. And I found this old building. I mean, in Chicago, you're tons of old buildings. And it was kind of uh, in need of desperate need of repair. And I was able to get it for a very, very low down payment. And... Uh, what I didn't know was... I don't know if you watched the Paranormal Witness episode. Uh, no, I, I watched the video about the exorcism, but that was, that was all I had a chance to do. It, it was... Uh, they kind of portrayed the beginning in the beginning of the episode exactly as it was. I, I walked through there, and, and the last thing I had were uh, paranormal senses, which I kind of do have today. Uh, but being a Chicago kid and being born and bred and bouncing back and forth between a abusive father, alcoholic, and, and my mother, I didn't recognize anything. I, I walked through there. I had left Marsha at home, and uh, the place was ramsacked. I mean, uh, everything was thrown all over the place. It was uh, uh, just a mess. And, and But as I walked through there, the various things I experienced, I just didn't think were unusual. There were things that I had experienced in my youth living in other old buildings where if you get the chills or, or you have a, uh, the hair stands up on your neck or you feel like you're being watched. I felt a whole bunch of sensations, but wrote them all off. Mm-hmm. In fact, the, the cool room, because it was a two-flat and my initial walkthrough was on the second floor, when I entered a couple rooms that were noticeably cool, it was like that was a benefit in those years. I mean, there was no central systems. <laughs> yeah. Just, so you had to get window air conditioners, and it was like, wow, this is cool, you know. Uh, I want to get a window air conditioner in this room. Good pun. And uh, wound up 
getting the house, and uh, my wife had never seen it. So I uh, I had to take her through it, and her reaction, she's much more, at, at, at a young age, she was much more sensitive than I was, and she was a little smarter, uh, but she felt it right away. And uh, when I showed her the basement, and I said, this is where I'll make a beautiful laundry room for you, she took one step in, and, and she stepped out, and she said, I'm never coming down here. And uh, that was her take on it immediately, but she kind of felt like, where else were we going to go? And she was going to make the best of it. If, if, if I could put her on today, she, she would tell you that, that she was going to make the best of it. And she knew that I tried my hardest to find the best place I could to have a roof over our heads. Um, and that's that's what happened. I wanted to buy a haunted house. Now, you could have written haunted house on the front of it in those years, and everybody just would have laughed at you. Because <laughs> there was no such thing as, as a haunting. We had uh, Casper the Friendly Ghost. You had the ghost of Mrs. Muir. You had you had all these non-threatening entities. And uh, later I found, you know, most ghost stories in those years were handed down by family, kind of whispered, because uh, I knew why very shortly, because once I acknowledged the problem, we became the subject of just mass ridicule, uh, which is why this book had not been told. I, I, I actually wrote this uh, over two decades ago and uh, updated it. It was supposed to be published with my daughter's name because I, I didn't want any part of the paranormal. I didn't know there were radio shows like yours that studied the paranormal and the, and, and the science. So all I remember is people calling me. I, I mean, we, we went, when the activity started, and if you guys are familiar with hauntings, they, uh, they start very subtle. Yes, they do. And, you know, most investigators that go into these things are kind of at a disadvantage because they get one day or maybe they're going to spend a couple of days and they get a snapshot. Exactly. Yeah. And what happened with ours was I was a complete skeptic. So, you know, I, I went through the total non-believer thing where first, you know, I just ignored everything. Then I kind of became aware of it and said, well... There's got to be a reason. I'm a, I am a creature of logic. And so I, I everything had a reason. The dog did it. The cat did it. Uh, you know, when, when it pulled, it had. The, it started irritating me by pulling the plug out of my bathtub. And I rode it off the sewer gas. I said, Chicago, it's old piping. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's blowing the plug out. And uh, I had a reason for everything that just drove my wife completely crazy. She was convinced and, it was paranormal. Yeah, just about from the first day. Okay. She started talking about uh, things moving, and I would just absolutely tell her, you know, you're crazy, you know, you, you, you're mistaken. Uh, and it, it, one of these things, uh, what, what these hauntings do to you, to your relationship, is they, they tear it apart. And uh, I think ours is a classic story of that because... Here I am on one side of the fence saying none of this happens. And it seemed like they knew to do all their activity more in, in the view, view of my wife. So she saw more of it than I was seeing. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought, okay, we'd been married three years. We were young. Uh, I was 24. She was 22. She just had a baby. I, I kind of knew, you know, uh, 
that women's chemistry changes, and, and I figure, okay, now she's locked in a house, her chemistry's changing, she's going a little bit wacko, you know. But it started irritating me, and, and it, it started getting to me shortly, and, and it, the initial thing I, I can forget, I, I can never forget, is that I'd call home, and regardless of when I'd call home from work, the phone would be busy. Now, you have to understand that there was no call waiting in those years. And phones were expensive. You couldn't buy them. You had to lease them. That's right. Uh, um, they charged you for every single unit. So we were living hand to mouth. And I'm thinking to myself, she's racking up the units talking to somebody. So I'd come home and I mean, I'd be fit to be tied. And she'd look at me like I was crazy. You know, I'm, I haven't been uh, on the phone all day. And eventually it came, we came to a standoff where I just kept my mouth shut and I thought, we're going to find out when the damn phone bill comes in. You know, I expected a gigantic phone bill. Phone bill came in, there's nothing on it. Hmm. Okay, now she, I, I said, you know, how can this possibly be? She says, well, I, I see the phone off the hook all the time. I, I said, okay, the dog must be doing it, the cat must be doing it. Uh, I had a, I had a reason for everything. And then, I, I guess the sign that I missed was uh, we had our daughter christened. And the priest, after the christening, was invited to our home. And my family was there. Uh, it's one thing the paranormal witness didn't portray correctly. We had about 14 people there. And there was going to be, he was going to bless the house. And then we were going to have a buffet lunch. And it was all going to be a real festive, happy situation well the priest at the time the first the only daughter of the family was living on the first floor I had given her 90 days to get out and uh, she was crazy as a loon that was Myra interesting and and after the christening the priest and I and and, uh, we walked back to our the building Myra had locked us out and uh, so I went to unlock the door and out popped Myra and she started just laying into this priest with the foulest language imaginable uh, I mean it was bleepity bleep 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 and I started the only way to control her was for me to yell back which I did do and the priest was kind of shaken and we went upstairs and he decided he was going to do the house blessing before we ate lunch or and I had our buffet so we all were standing around rather reverently, and I had been an altar boy in the old Latin church. So I kind of knew. As was I. <laughs> yeah. Now, I knew what the ceremony was. I knew all the utensils. And typically uh, in those years, they would leave you with a, uh, a crucifix with a sliding front where you had two candles and holy oil. And uh, But he started out, and he, he started out in Latin, and he opened up his book, and he pulled out this brass dispenser. He raised it into the air. And it shattered. There was no there was no explosion or anything like they used in Paranormal Witness. It just shattered. And my family, everybody was kind of dumbfounded. It was like, what the heck just happened? He, of course, got nervous. He got down on his knees and started picking up brass. I had never seen brass shatter. I mean, I had handled one of those things. I mean, you could clonk somebody over the head with it. Mm-hmm. Uh but he was nervous, and he was picking up brass, and uh, everybody was kind of looking at each other dumbfounded. 
And he said, I must go. And he, I said, no. I said, I want you to bless my daughter's room. And he said, no, I'm, I must go. And I literally grabbed him by the shoulder and I said, no, you're going to bless my daughter's room. He, what he should have did was gone room to room to room. And uh, he, he did the living room where it shattered. And then he did my daughter's room. And, I mean, he ran out. And it's it's funny. I mean, it was funny at the time. It wasn't funny, you know, when, in retrospect when I got a little smarter. But we had a closet door and the outer door of the apartment, which led to the stairs out. They looked identical. He walked into the closet, which caused my whole family to start biting their tongues from laughing, okay, because he was really shook. Out the door he went. My, my friend was holding an envelope for for a uh, donation, which was traditional. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to have to interrupt you. I'm sorry. We have to take a break. However, we'll continue the story when we come back. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Van Eno on CBS News Sky Radio. Our guest this evening, Edwin Becker and True Haunting. Stick with us. Enlighten. Empower. Enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New Horizons. No boundaries. Let me tell you about the way I roam. I call the road my home. So it makes for nights long without you. Though I've traveled a million miles, you're the only thing that makes me smile. I think about my baby all the while. I'm without you. So, so, so what I need to know, know, know is when I get home, 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 will you still be there?
Radio is now Radio's The Scar. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOLVE. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. And we're speaking with Edwin Becker, author of True Haunting and a witnesser thereof. And Ed, why don't you pick up where you left off? Things were starting to get a little a little hot in this house in Chicago. Yeah, the priest uh, ran out of the apartment, and, and I chased, literally chased him with the envelope, saying, you know, here, Father, here's your donation. And, it, and it, to this day, I laugh because he took the envelope from me like uh, if, you, if you've been in track and you've done uh, a multi-race, uh, you, you put your hand backwards to grasp the time. Okay. That's exactly how he put his hand to get the envelope. <laughs> He didn't look back. He didn't stop his pace. Uh, and, I mean, he was gone. And I didn't think anything of it. I got back to the house, and, and everybody was sort of amused. Like, what the heck? We didn't know if he had the jitters or, or you know, if, what went wrong. But we knew that he had lost it. And uh, I figured, no big deal, because I'll ask him later in the week. And that led to a whole bunch of uh, meetings, first phone calls. And he refused to come back. And I called him, and each time I got a little bit stronger in my demands, he refused to come back. So finally I went to the rectory and uh, decided to meet with him. And I was a young, you know, 24-year-old, and I have to admit I was kind of a hothead. And he sat me there, and he, he really played me, because basically what he did is listen, listen, listen to my story, and then look me straight in the eyes and say, you and your wife need to seek uh, psychological help. Unbelievable. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll just, if I can just interject here, priests, people assume that priests are trained in the paranormal should something like this arise, you know, even albeit in, in their sort of narrow understanding of it. But I never found that to be the case. At the very time you were going through this, I was a student for the priesthood, and they're just, you know, certain priests are hush-hush, picked out of the, the group and become the diocesan exorcists, people who are trained, and again, in their narrow view of it, but they just, most parish priests are just not prepared for this to this day, as far as I know. So I, I really relate to what you just said. So what happened after that? I literally exploded, and, uh, you know, expletives filled the air. Yeah. And, and I did not understand how you can, you know, preach the Holy Spirit and not believe in that other spirits or, or things can exist. But he basically forbid me to, from coming back. He wanted me oh, yeah, it, it That's was, worse than, than most. It was awful because it also left me with, in Chicago, your parishes are, are like franchises. Hmm. So that I could not call another parish and bring them in unless I had some type of relationship. Like maybe, that's true, you know, yeah. So, you know, the, a, a priest from St. Joseph's won't go to St. John's without permission and all that. Well, I was cut off. Mm -hmm. And at that point, what what happened was, it seemed like after his visitation, he stirred up the hornet's nest a little bit. Because all of a sudden now we did have a little more activity and I started to see things. Doors opening, doors closing. And I, I, if you watch Paranormal Witness, so I went to the basement and I started to clean. This place was a mess, and it was filled with garage and the basement were filled with junk. 
So little by little, I was cleaning it out, and they had four sheds that were made of wood. Basically, they were like storage sheds. Uh, but they were made roughly, crudely with planks. And one of them had a padlock on it. Excuse me. <coughs> Which kind of meant whatever was in there is mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so me and my little brother, who was 10 years younger than I, he was 14 at the time, we popped the lock, and I... You know, you anticipate treasure or tools or, you know, something good. What I found in there was nothing but pornography and early pornography. So there were magazines, a table with magazines. There was uh, pictures cut out. And most disturbing was the back wall, I remember, had these piles of shoeboxes. When I opened the shoeboxes, each box had pictures and cartoons. They were all cut very evenly, very meticulously, uh, about two by four. <coughs> Excuse me. And like baseball cards, except they were newspaper. And they, he had them bundled up in batches about four inches high, and then he'd rubber band them. And what really disturbed me was when I went through the pictures, it wasn't, uh, they weren't dirty pictures or anything like that. The pictures were women's body parts whether they were cartoon or whether they were a photograph. Now, excuse me, this is in the house you grew up in or the house you bought? The house we bought. The house you bought, okay. Yeah, and this guy's name was all over him. And uh, I, in the book I call him Ben. And uh, oh, Thanks, Ben. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, Ben. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> you but didn't that's, know. That that's who I named him. And after that, I started, you know, everything that went wrong, I would start cursing Ben. Uh, I didn't even realize what I was doing. That, that all of a sudden I was sort of acknowledging the entity. And after I had the book, after, after the book was released, my first floor tenant surfaced. He read the book and then called me. And he told me a, a worse story. I mean, typically when someone writes a book, uh, what you fear is someone will pop up and they'll say, no, that ain't right. Instead, my tenant showed up and said, this is what we went through. He lost, he wound up losing his wife, uh, all kinds of torment. But I can't talk about that until I get his permission. I may get it for a second book. Sure. But his his initial take, we after Myra left, we had this young couple uh, that moved in, Dan and his wife. And we accepted them immediately because their reason for looking for an apartment was exactly the same as ours. They had gotten kicked out. They had an infant daughter. But then, you know, we, I kept my distance because I was advised that you don't make friends with your tenants, uh, you know, by a fellow who did own apartment buildings. So I, I figured, well, I'll keep my, keep my arm's length, which is why I never knew the detail of what was going on in his apartment. But his, 42 years later, we meet on the paranormal witness set and we shared everything. Hmm. And his take on me, he said he thought I was nuts. He said he opened the door to his apartment, to the basement, which led to the basement, and he would see me walking around there, you know, doing things and cleaning. He said, but you'd be mumbling and talking, which he was completely right. I was saying, Ben, you son of a gun, you know, why didn't you clean this up? Ben, what, your family is a bunch of pigs. And <laughs> everything I faced, it was an obstacle. If it was broken, I'd say, Ben, why the heck didn't you fix this? So all he saw was this, this basement was about six foot height. I'm six foot three. So he saw this big hunched-over guy talking to himself. 
and then the activity just escalated. Uh, he was sampling. I mean, I, I can remember the first time he came upstairs and he was in a huff. He said to me, you know, please don't turn the electricity off. You can ruin my records. I didn't know what the heck he was talking about. And I told him, I said, you've got your own electric meter. Why would I touch it? And uh, he just walked off in a huff and, and blamed me for turning off his electric. Electric. Forty-two years later, I also found out that he also thought I was stealing his tools from the back porch because they were being misplaced and disappearing. Now, and then all of a sudden, this arguing started, which Marsha and I had heard before, and I attributed it to because you're in Chicago, you've got uh, multi-dwelling buildings next to each other. I assumed it was neighbors or something like that. But we were hearing arguing, and eventually we thought, wow, it sounds like it's Danny and Diane downstairs. Well, they were hearing the same thing, and they thought that Marsha and I weren't getting along. So we were both hearing this, and it, it took a long time before we realized that it was redundant. It was uh, almost the same argument every time. And it went from one thing to another. And, and uh, when you watch the Paranormal Witness episode, they portrayed it so greatly uh, and, and they truncated it into a, a small time frame. It was actually longer. But I got to talking to Ben, and I actually could make him perform. So it all started one night. We were eating dinner, and uh, the kitchen. we had a kitchen door that led to a dining room and led to a front room. It was just a straightforward apartment, one bedroom off of each main room. The door opened up, and this was an old oak painted over door. It opened up, and Marsha became, you know, kind of alarmed. She'd look, you know, see how the door opened, and I, you know, I, I, to this day, I'm really not afraid of ghosts. I respect the paranormal. Believe me, I know about attachments. I know about all the negative things that can happen. So I stay away from the paranormal. But in my youth, I didn't see a ghost being anything to be afraid of. You know, it was an airbag. I was a kid that went to. I lived in Cabrini Green. In the early years. So, you know, you want fear, you're living in a tenement, try to get to the bus stop, you know, without having a fight. Uh, so, you know, a ghost, what could a ghost do? So I mocked it, and uh, I'd close the door, he'd open it, I'd close it, and finally I tied a string. I, we had a, a little loop where we put a gate across the door so our daughter wouldn't crawl through there. I tied a string to the doorknob, I tied it to the loop, and I uh, left about two inches try to open of course it couldn't open all the way and it would vibrate and then I would start mocking him I would say Ben you know what, what kind of ghost are you you know you can't break a, a string you know uh, and I fed it you know meanwhile Marsha would be emotional and she'd be telling me Eddie stop it and uh, I'd be mocking whatever it was and That's it continued a formula for trouble oh definitely everything continued to escalate and uh Next thing you know, it was messing with my house keys and hiding them. And when the gas, I think the first fear I had, actually, there were two fears that I had. One was one night, our dog, we were sleeping, and uh, th these entities had terrorized our animals. So our cat went to, basically, she stayed in our, our bedroom for most of the time, never came out. She came out of the front room one day hissing with her tail enlarged and never went back to the front room again but one night our dog was sleeping and uh, jumped up on the bed 
Hallie was like a wolf-like uh, shepherd-husky mix. She put her throat to the bed and, I mean, raised her teeth. Her, her, the hair on her back went up, and she started growling. Like she was seeing something, and she was ready to fight. And I couldn't see anything. There was nothing there. And it gave me a chill. I mean, it was only two or three times that I really got a chill. That was it, because I knew she was seeing something that she really didn't like and was threatening. And we couldn't. And, and that, to this day, I, I know that animals can see these things. Animals and babies, I believe. Uh, but it got to the point to where finally uh, Marcia said, you know, she basically left. She basically said to me, I got to go home. I, I got to get away from this. Okay, well, on that note, I'm afraid we have to take another break. Ed. Okay. Uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Benino on CBS News Sky Radio. Our guest this evening, Edwin Becker, describing the true haunting in the Chicago area in 1971. We'll be right back, so stick with us. Enlighten, empower, enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons, no boundaries. Empty as 
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. New SkyRadio.com. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben and right next to me is Paul. And with us tonight we have uh, Edwin Becker, writer of the uh, book, the 2011 best-selling book, uh, True Haunting, and he's telling us of all the events that took place in... Uh, actually, I have no clue what season 1971 this is, but it was 1971. Was so Chicago, yeah. City, yeah. Yeah, well, I said season, not city. Right. And <laughs> uh, we'll have to ask you to kind of... Um, we're, we know it's only an hour show, and we're halfway through, and if we could kind of get through the summing up and, and maybe talk about the... A bridge. Uh, unfortunately, and because uh, we have some That's, questions, yeah, but, so it is. Uh, but but go ahead and and uh, whatever led up to the exorcism that occurred. Well, my wife uh, needed a break, and she left, and she left in a fit of emotion because she basically confronted me. Uh, I was in denial, and I was always denying it. And uh, she said, "Hey, you know, you're sitting in the bathroom watching your bathtub plug, you're checking the phone bill, you're doing all these things." You know, you just won't admit it to yourself. And, and she went home. And the, she wasn't leaving me in the marriage. She was leaving me to take a break, which left me there. And I found myself in just, just deep despair. I, the lowest point in my life, I swear to God, it's the lowest point in my life. The weakest link in our marriage. We were still married 47 years later. But I decided we got to do something. So I went back and got her. And... Flippantly, I told her I, we, we couldn't get anybody. There were no investigative teams like today. Today, I can send you to paranormal societies, and you can look up one by, by your state and city. Yeah, they're all over the place. We were very fortunate that we had a psychic in our in Chicago called Joseph D. Louise. Very, very kind man and a very, very good psychic. I didn't believe in psychics at the time. But he came in the house. He toured the house. He basically said, you have a number of entities here. A couple of them are benign, a couple of them are not benign, and one is uh, possibly demonic on the first floor. He went to, again, he went to a father, uh, Joe Wood, a Catholic priest, and the father refused to get involved, even though he was a friend of Joe. So they went, they got Reverend William Daryl Davis, an Anglican exorcist, and they decided they were going to exorcise the house. Now, I didn't know what the heck that meant. Actually, uh, they investigated me and Marsha and our backgrounds and all that because they want to make sure we weren't flower children or, or something like that. Uh, and they decided, okay, we're going to hold an exorcism. Well, Father Joe Wood, who had refused to be involved, had an NBC radio program. So he told the executives at NBC that, yeah, we've got a rather active house. And next thing I knew, Carol Simpson called, and she said, can we film it? And I initially I said no. I mean, it was the same thing I told Paranormal Witness when they called me. I didn't want to be on Paranormal Witness. Uh, my granddaughters wanted me to be on Paranormal Witness, my wife and I. But Joseph DeLuise had a book out called Psychic Mission that was published in 1971. And he said uh, it wouldn't hurt. Well, had, had he not, he hadn't asked us for a dime. 
and he had counseled us and he had told me to change my behavior. I became a little more quiet and respectful. Uh, I owed him. So I said, yeah, you can go ahead and film it. And, it, and the end result is, is uh, what's left of it is that YouTube footage or the footage I sent you. Yeah. Uh, they had filmed 16 hours there. And one of the benefits of working with Paranormal Witness was they're owned by NBC. Sci-fi is owned by NBC. So they wanted the original footage, and I thought, boy, I want it too, because in that in that footage, if you watch it on YouTube at about the minute and a half point, you see a ghost. Because all of us were on the, on the, behind the camera, and he wanted to film the room empty. No one was looking for it, but you'll see a little thing of white, almost looks like a woman's going to walk into the room with a robe or something, and then it backs off. And I wondered, what the heck else did they capture in 16 hours of footage? Because no one was looking for it. Mm -hmm. And uh, then came the exorcism. And uh, Yeah, I have to stop you there, Ed, because I, I watched the uh, video of that on YouTube, and it's, it was actually in the form of a news report that right. occurred at the time. And uh, it's, that's the most peculiar exorcism I've ever seen if it was described correctly, and certainly we were watching it as the, the newscaster was describing it. Um, and you, of course, weren't familiar with exorcisms at the time. Could you describe exactly what they did? What in, they, yeah, what they attempted in, to do, I, I realized later, was, was uh, uh, it wasn't going to work. Because I saw them argue philosophically, because a psychic, a psychic medium, he attempts to put himself into a trance and communicate with whatever it is that's there which is what Joseph attempted to do. Now, and these exorc- were both clergy? They were both ministers? Of what, one, when you say, was Anglican, yeah. which was Episcopal. Yeah, yeah. One, they're both ministers. Right. One, one was a professional exorcist, and that's what he did. And well, it doesn't sound like they were canonical to me. In other, in other words, they, they sound like they were part of, of uh, I'm not going to say renegade, but uh, independent churches that did not have the sanction of the, the main body of the either the Episcopal or the Spiritualist groups, which may, may not mean anything as far as credibility is concerned, but it's just a point that seems to... You know, honestly, at that point in our lives, I would have welcomed a fireman with a fire hose. Sure, <laughs> sure. But, but they argued, because you, you know an exorcist is never going to communicate with anything. You don't open your mind if you're exactly. an exorcist. Yeah, yes, that's true. That's very so, true. So Joseph would try to go into a trance. That exorcism actually lasted... Three and a half hours. Kind of more like a like a seance. It went back and forth. Yeah. Um, it went with the, with the exorcist making certain demands, and the medium going into certain levels of a trance. And actually, at one point, he spoke in a voice that was just frightening. Yeah, well, that, that happens, but that that's really the whole setup seems really odd. And the minute the minute he spoke in that voice, the exorcist became alarmed and started demanding, "Come back, Joseph! Come back!" Uh, he was afraid that the psychic was going to get possessed. I know that today. When we were watching it, we didn't know what the hell was happening. It was like, what's going on? We knew at the end of it that it had failed. Mm. I mean, you could tell by the even on that YouTube footage, by the face on uh, on both of them at the end, that they did not look victorious. Yeah, they, they, they look like basketball players that just got beat by forty points. Well, we got five minutes till the next break, uh, and then the final segment. So, so what? So this didn't work, and then if you can sum up what happened, 
and and how and when you left this place. Did you move because of the events, paranormal events? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, okay. When when it started, when they eventually it escalated to the point to where they started to play with the gas, the gas stove. Oh yeah. And the, and the levers of the heating system. Who do you they mean they? Off. They the entities. The entities. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they were able to move physical things, and uh, you know, there. A lot of people say, "Well, how did how did you handle all this?" If you have to stay there, believe it or not, I don't find like right now. I'm sitting in my kitchen, and if my toaster moved over a couple inches by itself, I'd find that you know confusing, but not frightening. Okay. And that's sort of what happens. You you become uh, become used to it. Yeah, you become used to it, yeah. and. Uh, even when it levitated the phone, and, and, and a number of people saw it, the phone, the princess phone come off the hook, sp- suspend in the air, and then fall over. Mm-hmm. And it could move my wife's hand mixer, and uh, it would move plates and brooms. You know, not all over the place like in uh, in a movie, but every now and then you'd have this occurrence. or, or And then it would keep at each other's throats. Uh, I'd say, where's my yes. wallet? Where, That's where's my- classic, yeah. And, you know, we'd, go, we'd banner back and forth. You know, she'd say, what did you do with this? I didn't touch it. Uh, but after the exorcism failed, the only thing I had left in my arsenal was to get more jobs. And I, I even lie in the book because I said I got two jobs. I actually got three. Jobs so to my, distract you from what was happening? No, to earn enough money. To to earn an, I'm sorry, to earn enough course. Yeah, yeah, to get the heck out of there. Did... Um, did everything get worse after the exorcism, or did it just sort of sort of stay the same? It, it, it was a great question because it led me to the most frightening moment that I ever had in that building. The day after the exorcism, Marsha and I woke up about five o'clock in the morning to this crying, wailing sound of anguish. I mean, it resonated through the whole apartment. It, it was it gave me goosebumps. And uh, since I had a recorder that was set up prior to the prior day where I recorded the sound of the exorcism, I told Marsha, I whispered to her, I'm going to get this. And I got up and I hit record and it stopped. But it was the most horrible sound I'd ever heard, even to this day. And I've heard some cries of anguish. And uh, what my fear was, was that, you know, when these ghosts start things, they, they typically replicate them. They keep doing the same things over and over. And I thought, oh, Christ, we're going to wake up every morning to this. Uh, but we never heard it again. And, and uh, so I went to working weekends at uh, Franklin Spalding Business Machines, evenings at a company called Cole Palmer Ecological, and then my full-time job at Schulhoff Plumbing, where I was uh, in data process, early data processing. Jeez, when did you sleep? <laughs> yeah, I hardly slept at all. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you read the book, you'll you'll see where my wife told me about uh, my my sister eventually moved in. Danny lost his wife on the first floor, and he moved out. He he was Native American and, and uh, he was very spiritual and frightened. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what was going on on the first floor actually, and my sister kind of and her husband bullied their way in because he worked literally a block away. Yeah. So what what was the what was the um culmination of this did any when you left did anything follow you or did you hear further reports from the no, well, we, people 
I, I'm, co- I'm convinced that they're attached to the property because the first mm-hmm. night that when we left, we never slept so well in our home. Yeah, sounds, sounds yeah. like you, right. Yeah. It, it, was, it was incredible. But even though I, you know, people say, well, I, I, I shouldn't have rented that apartment out because while I was trying to sell it, I really thought that I was the, the focal point of their anger and agitation because I did agitate them. So the people that moved into the apartment after we moved out had some activity, but it wasn't. I mean, they approached us and they eventually said to Marsh and I, "Is that place haunted?" Because it had the activity, but it wasn't to the extent that Marsh and I had sampled. Okay. And uh, we, I couldn't sell the place, so I had hired a. I mean, a dynamic real estate man, and he it broke his back. Yeah. Well, speaking it, of breaks, we're going to have to take another one. So. We're, uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio. Stick with us. I'll be right back with Edwin Becker. CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons. No boundaries. NewSkyRadio.com. Let the man go through. Move aside and let the man go through. 
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Welcome back to the final segment of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and this is Paul with me right here. And Edwin Becker is our guest this evening, and we're going to wrap up our show with some uh, conclusions about the case. Okay, well, maybe. Let's fire out some ideas. And try this on for size. Um, in our particular work, we don't think that the theories about spirits and this kind of thing, that, that everybody assumes to be the case because they don't know of any other explanation, none of those have proven good enough for us. Um, so, as I say, try this on for size. Everything you describe leading up to the case, the case itself, and everything you experienced is a classic example of what, in our opinion, is a parasite attack. These, um, this is based on the, as any good listener to this show knows, on the ideas of some, some of the ideas in quantum mechanics, particularly the MWI, the multiple worlds interpretation of this, which has become more, uh, centered in the minds of many scientists than it used to be, and then just in 1971, I was ex- I was going into cases that reminded me a great deal of yours, but it didn't add up. What I think was happening to you, and uh, again, let us know if this rings true, uh, you had a parasite situation. Parasites are life forms, not spirits, that will absorb, will feed upon the negative stuff you exa- that you describe, uh, the despair, the, uh, the the possible uh, existence of a previous tenant who was a pervert of some kind and was doing negative things, uh, the the crazy daughter who stayed in the place, who knows what she was doing. All this rings the dinner bell for these things, and there may have been geotechnical factors under the side. I I, I bet you would find that uh, you had sandy or clay soils that might have been had a, high, a high water table and conduct electromagnetic fields, strong or weak, that form the boundaries between parallel worlds where all these, some of these critters exist. We found that these parasites will come in. They're responsible, obviously, for the folklore about demons and uh, evil spirits and ghosts and things, some of them anyway, that uh, are all over our folklore. But they are as real as you can get. They seem to farm, for lack of a better term, families, individuals, and will, as you said, sometimes be stuck, depending on the species, sometimes be stuck to a site because of the energies there, sometimes for generations. Uh, So does this begin to ring a bell with you at all? I mean, did you ever suspect that that what you were dealing with was not necessarily the remnants of some guy who died, but maybe something a little more substantial? Particularly with the physical was, stuff? I felt, I felt there was something more substantial on the first floor because my sister is insane today, and she never recovered. She, okay. she played with the Ouija board and the occult. Well, you, you, and, just, you and, just named it. But Marcia and I saw a full-bodied apparition. And okay. It was an old woman, nothing frightening about her. We were at the top of the stairs, she was at the bottom. She looked at us actually in, in kind of an endearing way. 
And I, I tell people today that, you know, had I taken a photograph, I'd show it to you and I'd say, here's the apparition. You'd say to me, that's an old woman. Mm-hmm. Well, because exactly. Pe- people are expecting to see a Wes Craven character or something. Yeah. Well, in our opinion, when you have the energies that permit parasites to manifest, you've also got in- overlapping and inter- interactive worlds where you ver- you're very likely sharing the space with an old woman who's not a spirit but an actual old woman. Uh, that's our experience. And when you look at it that way, all sorts of amazing things can happen. Now, again, maybe we're wrong, but that's how we would interpret it. We often find that these quote-unquote ghosts are living physical lives in a parallel world, and they're afraid of us because they think we're ghosts, because that's how they see us. So these are all possibilities that kind of open up new ideas. And, of course, that's why a lot of exorcisms don't work, because they're dealing with something that they think is something and not re- it isn't really... <laughs> In any by any stretch of the imagination. So I mean, again, uh, but the, the negative stuff is what you look out for. But we've seen this time and again, and it it seems like an extremely interesting case. Have you had any paranormal events happen to you since then? Uh, a number of mild ones compared to that, uh, but nothing nothing like that. And I'm not as brave as you guys. I mean, uh, but, but you have but you you have, did find yourself more sensitive. Oh, definitely. After this experience, that, that that's also a very common occurrence. Yeah, definitely. It's probably because you're more aware of it, out of a sense of self-preservation, really. So well, I know that I, I know the heavy air, and I, I can feel the temperature. And, and uh, these things will do a number of things to you. They'll make you know. Typically, you don't hear about ringing in the ears. Yeah. Or or, or you'll get a hot flash. You'll get instant agitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- they'll do a number of things that, that your body will let you know they're there if you recognize them. Well, you know, it's really funny. Everybody talks about the cold spots and this sort of thing, but. Maybe it's me, but I, I only once in 43-odd years, very odd years of, of, of doing this, did I ever really feel a cold spot. I followed an entity into a room, and it, it disappeared, and, it, and everything got cold. That's the only time. Other, and everybody else, I don't understand that. I mean, but so you feel the cold spots like most other people do, huh? It, it, only if they're uh, dramatic. I, not like that I, uh, you got to, you know... Understand, I'm not in a paranormal, and I rarely watch these TV things. And someone had to teach me what an EMF was and an yeah. EVP. But I wouldn't need a temperature meter. You know, okay. they, they look at the temperature just moved to one degree. Yeah. One degree ain't nothing. You know, when, no. if you feel a cold room, you're going to walk into it and say, "Whoa." Yeah. You know. Okay, we got uh, about a minute, Ben. Any any further questions or, or comments? Nope. Okay, well, I basically all right. We're, we're just about out of time. Ed, fascinating conversation. Edwin Becker, everybody, just very quickly tell us where people can get the book. They can get it at Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble or, or, or the Author House. Or you can come to my website, okay. www.edwinbecker.com. And True Haunting has its own website. My daughter created it, www.truehaunting.com. Excellent. And, and I really appreciate you guys having me on. Oh, no, it was just oh, a, it's a great pleasure. conversation. We'll be in touch off the air. We might have more to talk about. Well, Edwin Becker, great. Thanks for a great show. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Okay, everybody. Ben, go take it away. Alrighty. Don't forget about our show website, www.behindtheparanormal.com, where you can find over 500 free podcasts of all of our past shows. You can also check out our site at www.newenglandghosts.com, where there are case studies and photos, along with articles by my dad. You can find my books on Barnes & Noble uh, e-reader and Amazon Kindle, and, of course, at Amazon.com, just as you can find Ed's book. Uh, but if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, our show site, I will autograph them for you. Big thrill. 
and you will help us keep all those podcasts free. Also on our sites, you'll find direct links to several charities Ben and I have adopted, including USA Cares and Canadian Veterans Advocacy. So many thanks to our producer, Brandon Jackson, and next week on uh, December 29th, right here on CBS New Sky, uh, we will have a rebroadcast of the show from uh, uh, back in July, July 14th, show number 466, uh, Bizarre Creatures, the Classified Documents with Nick Redfern. In the meantime, tune into our Boston Providence Drive Time show on WOON 1240 and onworldwide.com at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 Pacific, every Monday. Uh, tomorrow, though, it will be at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 Pacific, because of a charity telephone. So we leave you this evening with a thought from the great Roman emperor and one of my favorite philosophers, Marcus Aurelius. The universe is change. Our life is what our thoughts make it. And uh, I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. Thanks for joining us on a great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. And a, good, and a Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night.